0: I forgot. I forgot that I am a wild thing, formed in a wild womb, and brought into the world through a sterile room. I used to sleep in mountains by crackling inflamed wood. I washed in streams of melted snow and ran through rainy fields, the rhythm of the sun and seasons setting the pace of the day. Today, these woods remind me of where I come from and who I am. I am a part of this. More than all the walls I walk and sleep between, this is where I come from. This made me. I am a part Of this.
1: Welcome to the open air. This is Jesse Racler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. You just heard a poem called Part of This by Jim Zartman. Jim is an author, artist, and Enneagram coach just how we met my wife jen and i who has her own set of questions for jim in part two of this discussion have had some really profound sessions with jim and discovering our enneagram type and jim's art of growth podcast has had an incredibly positive impact on our lives and so it's such a treat to have him here today and connect around some of our core mental health rituals and practices including cold plunging searching for beauty and putting ourselves in spaces that remind us we are part of this This episode is brought to you by the Open Air Outpost, a new nature escape with luxury tiny cabin and glamping options just two hours northeast of the Twin Cities. It's a place where we made it easy to put into practice all the wisdom we've learned from the guests on this very show. You can even book unique experiences with some of them as part of your stay. Learn more at openairoutpost.com. Without further ado... Jim... This idea of the great remembering, mm. you know, when we get immersed in these spaces and go, wait a minute, I didn't just come from inside these walls. I came from something much bigger. And when you connect with that, the amazing things that that happen. And I'm curious if there was like one specific experience that inspired this piece uh, or if not a specific moment, like, do you recall a time when you begin, began to feel this message like at a bone level deep enough to want to write about it?
0: Yeah, so it definitely came out of a a stream of events where if I go all the way back, I, I think about growing up and I didn't have access to a lot of nature or a lot of beauty growing up where I did in uh Columbus, Ohio. Uh a very city, you know, a few nice parks, but no real access to the wild wonder <laughs> of nature and I remember trying to access it as much as I could. I'd find the little pockets of nature, um, and you know, go swimming in those waters, and uh, you know, sneak through those wooded areas wherever I could as a kid. But something happened for sure when I came to Massachusetts, and I, hmm. I started slowly and surely getting more and more into the the natural beauty around here. And it awoke in something that I was like looking for as a kid. When I would mm. uh, put on my headphones and listen to the uh, Sunny 95s love songs <laughs> and walk through the the <laughs> snow, I loved like taking walks through the snow when it was all quiet. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm connected to something here. But it, it's almost like our root selves, our child selves, knows that we need a connection to that, and then we. Then we grow up and and we walk and we sleep between all these walls and all these halls, and mm-hmm. we lose something that is vitally important to us. And it started you know, like kind of coming back to life when, at first, when I read a book by Scott Carney called "What Doesn't Kill Us." Did you read that? Mm. No, I, I haven't read that one. Okay, so that's the one that introduced me to. Cold immersion. Yeah. okay. Yeah, there's all there's a really cool story for me in that. So, I was, I think, gonna be turning forty, and I was like starting to think about what a lot of people do when they're turning forty. Like, I really want to get in better health. Uh, like, I spent most of my twenties and thirties in pretty poor health. I I had a couple um, bad surgeries in my early twenties that left me you know, bedridden for the better part of two years, where I was pretty incapacitated, couldn't do a lot of things, I was in a lot of pain constantly. And, and it just kind of made me shut down, I felt like loss of self, there was a lot of things that came with that weight gain, depression, all these different things. And then, you know, through my late 30s, I was, like, I really want to get, get back. And then, you know, as I'm moving toward, the end of my 30s, I got really ill. Uh, a, a, a cold or a sickness or a flu of of the likes I've never known. I actually had it for 12 weeks. Oh um, my gosh. Went to the doctor three times. They put me to two rounds of antibiotics and all this stuff. And somehow in the middle of all this, I came across Scott Carney's book, What Doesn't Kill Us. And there's like a tagline that's like what, you know, how freezing temperatures, uh, altitude and, and something else will help us recover our lost evolutionary strength. And I was like, that, that part right there, recover our lost evolutionary strength really intrigued me. And that's the book that introduced me to the Wim Hof method. And so I was really sick for 12 weeks. And I started doing ocean plunges in, uh, I want to say it was like November, December. So in in the boston area that's very the water's very cold already at that point especially if you're not used to it and within 3 or 4 days my system started cleaning itself up and um, I started getting better so wow i was like wow and that was 2018 and i haven't been sick since i haven't had a cold <laughs> uh, when i got my vaccines that were taking everyone else out for for covid i i had like zero effect um, and so there was something to that that made me go, okay. And then that led to, oh, I want to start exploring the woods. And then I oh, i want to start running. And oh, I'm going to do a triathlon. And oh, I'm going to do these long distance bike rides. And so all of these things started snowballing off of that one moment of being horribly sick. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. learning about the Wim Hof methods, starting the cold immersion, getting like my health back, and then starting to work in that direction ever since. Wow. Well, and it's the
1: physical is absolutely one part of it. And there's sort of that immediate buzziness that we, Jen and I have experienced in the afterglow. Yeah. And then and then things follow, right? Like over time, things like you talk about, but also like, I haven't read, you know, I need to read Scott Carney's book, but the thing that Jen and I talk about a lot is this concept of sisu, which is that Scandinavian term um, kind kind of going beyond one's mental or physical capacity, mm. which cold plunging does and really reframes your belief of what you're capable of. Um yeah. so there's that physical component, but then there's also like the mental, once you're in there and you're like, Oh, I'm I'm not gonna die, actually. Um <laughs> In yeah. fact, I might be here for ten or twelve minutes uh or longer. Um and I'm curious if Uh, if that was also part of it, like the mindset changes or, or other ways that you felt the practice change you
0: beyond the physical? Oh, for sure. Like there's of course the scientific part of it that doing cold immersion, like coming out that gives you this endorphin rush. And there was something about that I noticed right off the bat is my mind is starting to be able to distinguish between discomfort and danger. Because it does snap you into this evolutionary place of, oh, no, get out. Like, that's the first instinct, right? (laughs) So as soon as you get in the water, you're like, no, 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 get out. And then there's like the surrenderer. Um, And somewhere in there, something else comes to life and goes, I'm actually okay. And so, you know, when you're facing a meeting or something later that day, you're not nearly as perturbed because you're like, (laughs) I, I've already touched the edge of (laughs) (laughs) like, I've grazed against death already today. Like (laughs) I've, I've had that awareness in my body of, of something that other humans throughout history has, it has lost their life. And I've come back inside and I'm like, you know what, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I think I'm going to be all right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, what totally. did you experience? Like the first couple times you did that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so in that stream with my friend, Emily, um, you know, it got in the first time it was like, yeah, yeah it's an immediate pain and immediate, like flee reaction, <laughs> Um, which, you know, I, 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 the first time I maybe made it a, a minute and then, and we were next to a hot spring, right? So this was the beauty of it. Mm. It's like, and I wasn't as afraid of it. Cause I'm like, oh, I can go get warm. Mm. Um, even though we're in the middle of the wild, there's, there's warmth right there. And so we did that, got back in the hot spring. And then the craziest thing was like, oh, I want to get back in the cold. I didn't expect that to happen. Huh. And, and then the craving kind of never really went away and then Jen and I started cutting holes in the ice on the lake here where we live and <laughs> it's been a consistent thing ever ever since and you know to add on like there's that you know there's that mental thing that happened but to go back to part of this you know to your your poem it's like that that great remembering and i have to say yeah. like having i was able to take your book and um uh, one other book with us on the first trip that we've had, you know, away from the kids in like three years, so we could actually do things like read yeah. books and talk about big ideas, you know, yeah. um, which is a, a rare and, and wonderful thing. But uh, I wanted to to read you this passage because it, it mm. to me ties into the same
0: great remembering. This is from John O'Donohue. Are you
1: familiar with him? Oh
0: yes, he is a huge thing in in my in my world. So I I can't wait. Let's hear it. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Well, this one is from um, The Invisible
1: Embrace Beauty. Mm. There's this section. He says, um, when the mind is festering with trouble or the heart torn, we can find healing among the silence of mountains or fields or listen to the simple, steadying rhythm of waves. The slowness and the stillness gradually take us over. Our breathing deepens. Our hearts calm and our hungers relent. When serenity is restored, new perspectives open to us and difficulty can begin to seem like an invitation to new growth. This is also the experience of prayer. And a couple things in there I wanted to ask you about. I mean, that's part of the great remembering and how it reframes yeah. your entire perspective about what's what's a challenge. Like you said, after in the cold plunge, you're having a meeting and you're like, okay, maybe this would have bothered me yesterday, but it doesn't bother me after doing (laughs) what I just did. (laughs) Um, but also just like as a, as a practice of putting yourself in the space where you get that perspective shift and reframing. And I know you have, you know, a spiritual, a, a, a spiritual background. Like, do you, as a ritual, does this feel like prayer to you or how else is this working? on, on your mind and your spirit over time.
0: Yeah. Well, what came to mind as you were reading that part? And he talked about that expanding and that serenity returning. And it's like that there is this expansiveness that happens. And that, that was one of the surprising elements actually of being in nature to me of going out and, okay, I'm going to explore. I'm going to push myself out into the into just being in nature and moving my body. And I know for me, two of the most spiritually uh, stabilizing experiences are being in movement and beauty. The combination of movement and beauty is a, uh, it's probably my greatest mental health practice. Um, And one of the things that I've noticed is the expansiveness that opens. And I, I have a few different experiences like this where I was on like a longer bike ride. I was riding on this trail that goes through these marshes um, up through these little towns north of Boston, um, Topsfield, and all these things. And, and there's like hawks flying over you and <laughs> you're like riding through these woods. And I would notice that a certain miles, a certain amount of miles away from home all of a sudden, what felt very locked, like expanded into like, oh, there's all these possibilities. And it's such a hard thing to formulate. It's trying to use words to explain something beyond words. When I say that the the mind suddenly expands and goes, oh, there's way more possible. Like the world is a lot bigger. Like, you're not locked in. You're not trapped. And sometimes it had opened up uh, possibilities and experiences of, um, like business ideas or, uh, dreaming again. But I remember one day in particular being so impactful is, um, yeah, like you said, I used to, I used to actually be in, um, the mega church world as a worship pastor. It's like, I did the music program for this like 6,000 person church, uh, back in the day. And then at one point they brought in uh, a new head leader and he was very, well the end of the story is um is part of this (laughs) so let me back up like he came in and it was a staff around 110 and he fired 26 of the main leaders and i was the first on his list so i was he fired me and our family went through a lot of crap after that but i remember on one of these rides just feeling all this stuff and hitting that mileage where my, I started to feel some expansion and just say, I don't want this bitterness anymore. I don't want to hold on to this. Like I want to wish well for these people. I want, um, I want good things and I want growth and I want the good things that I've experienced for these people that hurt me. And I just started like going through this ritual of like forgiveness and releasing of bitterness as I'm riding my bike. And it was a very powerful moment. I'm just like it's so beautiful and the sunlight's like coming through the leaves and the trees and crossing on the path in front of me and i'm feeling hearing the sound of the gravel under my feet as i pedal And it's it's just so sensational in a, in a good way it's all my senses are going and this forgiveness is like kind of coming out of me
1: <sighs> that's amazing and it's it's incredible to me also this parallel. So I mentioned my friend Emily who got uh, me started cold plunging. She hiked 1,200 miles across Wisconsin last winter in sub-zero temperatures, the bitter cold. And after a certain amount, she said the same thing. After a certain amount of mileage, yeah, she started people in her life started appearing to her that she hadn't fully forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which wow. being her father. And she just did this work. Around forgiveness. Yeah. And and she came home. She was carrying a 65-pound pack, but she felt lighter than she had ever felt in her life mm. because she let go so much of the the mental and spiritual baggage that she had held on to because Beautiful. she was out there for so long. And and so something about the <laughs> the mileage count, I think, something opens up, and maybe it's partly the solitude in a place, or maybe it is also, like you said, movement in beautiful spaces that's a it's hard to quantify
0: right and maybe we shouldn't but wow there's a part of it i can quantify which is that extended times in nature and moving your body rearranges your priorities Mm. it does all of a sudden the things that felt overwhelming feel smaller the things that felt impossible feel like well you know maybe if all this could happen All this beauty surrounding me, if that could happen, (laughs) because like people often ask, like, why is there so much pain in the world and so much horrible things? I'm like, well, why is there so much beauty? Why is there so much awe? Why is there so much wonder? Why is there such incredible things to behold? Like, because if you think about it, it should all be chaos and it should all be a disaster, but it's not. Like, why is there so much beauty?
1: And there's a rhythm and a design that you find in nature that for me, at least you go (laughs) like, where did this come from? And that, that, that connection to some sort of divinity that you get in those experiences that you don't get in your daily life and in urban spaces as much, at least let's say,
0: right? Well, there's like a scientific, uh, yes, there is a scientific visual um, aspect to it where so much of the natural world is made up of fractals fractals, mm. and the man-made world is not. And there's something about our brains that are calmed from uh, experiencing fractals. So they did this experiment with these groups of people who, you know, had a wide range of anxiety and depression and all this. And then they had some people who were, um, you know, they'd spend 20 minutes three times a week. In the woods, and some people who spent the equivalent of like three days over the course of a month, a full three days, in the woods, and it just escalated these different times. The people who spent, uh, I think, at least seven days or more in the woods, their brains basically reset to an alpha state, like what what like high level meditators are trying to reach, just from spending a lot of time out in nature, because visually it does something. Uh, to us. The way that the world is composed uh, is like a natural setting and our brains can kind of calm down in a way that they can't when we're spending too much time in man-made structures with man-made controls of temperature. It's like everything is a system of control. And I think there's part of us that knows that that's not okay and not natural and we kind of react against it. Um, And so there's a healing aspect to being in these natural environments where your body knows that things are like actually okay. The practice of just looking for beauty every day is one of the most uh, important, I think that we can be a part of because otherwise we just get dominated by, uh, I mean, news and advertisements, right? Those are the two things that are constantly being thrust upon us. One is there to cause anxiety uh, and feel like you're not safe enough. And the other one is to make you feel like you don't have enough or you're not enough. And these are the systems of control that are constantly being thrust upon you. Because if you can make people feel like they don't have enough or they don't have what they need, uh, then you can keep them enslaved by buying and buying and and Moving here and trying this, and and if you can keep them afraid, you can manipulate them into like giving away power in your your like self sovereignty. And so, when you put yourself in a practice of beauty, you're less susceptible to them that manipulation. Um, when you spend time going that way, you are you are less influenced by things that are trying to take from your life.
1: I love the idea of being so intentional about going out and looking for beauty and maybe making a little beauty bank and making sure you're (laughs) adding a coin to that every
0: day, right? Yeah, we were talking about this um, Sunday night. Abby was asking like, what were all the most, she was asking me and our eight-year-old daughter, what were the most beautiful things that happened this week or that you saw this week? And she's like, I'd love to get to a point where we have a daily rhythm where we start asking ourselves, what was the most beautiful thing you experienced today or you saw today? And it could be as simple as, I found this piece of sea glass on the beach that has been churned underwater for the last 40 years and is now like this rough, but it has this beautiful uh, lavender look to it. And just, it could be the simplest things like that. Um, and, And it doesn't always have to be just nice. I think that's an important part of this. I think one of my favorite memories actually of this whole cold plushing was probably the the burliest thing I've ever done, which was I decided to do it one day. It was uh, about uh, 29, 30 degrees out. So it was below freezing. I know that. And we had uh, 30 mile an hour winds with 60 mile an hour gusts. And so I decided to run two miles barefoot on the beach and then go in the water and when I'm running the one direction, I'm like, OK, this isn't so bad. I thought this was going to be really horrible. But then I had to turn around and come back. And then I had like these 60 mile an hour winds in my face where that were like so that I couldn't feel things. And then the rain picked up and it felt like little, little that sharp piercing rain like all over my body because I'm just in a pair of shorts you know I don't have a shirt on and I'm sure that anyone driving by (laughs) thought I was a complete nut job Um, and I'm laughing because I think it's so funny that like I'm like no no I am in nature right now and I'm really in it so I'm like running back and then I get in the water and I get out and your skin feels like all like numb and impenetrable and it's hit, and I'm just growling, and I'm laughing too because it's also hilarious to me that I'm doing this. Of course. And I walk back to my car, and I'm like, "See, this is also beauty. It's like type two fun, as I like to call it. So type one fun is like the fun that while you're doing it, it's great fun while you're doing it. Type two fun is like, man, I did that. Like right. Type, yeah. Type one is like a roller coaster, you're like, wee, this is great fun. Um, But like type two fun is like, man, I, I finished this hike and I saw some incredible things and I like my body was able to do it and I, and I took it. Oh, feels good. Yeah. Like finishing a marathon or something, you know, like that feeling type two fun (laughs) and type two,
1: you come out maybe a little bit better of a person than you were before.
0: Right. Yeah. No one came out better as a person from like a night of drinking with their buddies, you know, type one fun. But they but they definitely did if they ever like finished a triathlon or like like you come out of that water. You're like, I have actually I've done something.
1: Right. (laughs) Your body
0: knows you did. Oh, yeah. And
1: you carry that with you
0: for a long time in a good way. Yeah. So have you noticed what uh, it feels like in your body? differently than before you started doing the cold plunges or being more intentional about getting in nature? Uh, I mean, I think, I think it's working on such a,
1: I mean, there are to the type one and type two, like there's type one experiences, which are the beautiful sunset, um, yeah. where they're, it's like a moment of awe. And then I would almost put cold plunging. It's a little bit of both. And I feel like other practices mm. are too, where it's like, in the moment you might not be like stopped in your tracks or like for me actually foraging is that like, I love the process huh. of it. Um, identifying plants is like a head exercise um, in the moment. It's fun. Cause it's like a treasure hunt. Um, yeah, but, but the type totally. two is like after like a year of this, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I know exactly what plants are coming up this week. I'm connected to the natural ecosystem in a way that I, I wasn't wow. before. And I feel like I am part of this ecosystem.
0: I am yes. part
1: of it in a way that I never felt before. And so like the type two part of it is like afterwards, it was a little bit of wax on wax off where I didn't know what I was <laughs> doing. I didn't know the <laughs> impact it was having on me until like a year later when I, I, I was like looking forward to seeing my old friend come up again. Um, so that's that's yeah. one one practice that just like has really changed me sl- slowly over time. So I think that's a bit type 2.
0: Yeah, well it's it's a treasure hunt on multiple levels. So you use that phrase and I was like, yeah, that's a hunt mm. not just for the thing you're hunting for, but you're hunting for yourself in a whole other way mm. in that environment and I that's so cool. That's just beautiful.
1: I'm curious if you have, you know, any other ideas or rituals or things in that vein of, you know, nature being either a healer or a transformational act that our listeners might enjoy taking away from this discussion.
0: I would just reiterate that I do think it is my single greatest mental health medicine. You know, a lot of times people think about food as medicine and I agree with that and I want to get much much better at that for myself. But when it comes to my mental health, I think that nature is probably my greatest medicine. If I'm having a really hard time, if I'm stuck and I don't know what to write, uh, like I need to write some stuff for my company and I'm stuck. I know if I go walk through the woods about 20 minutes in, I can't put content quickly enough into my into my phone because it's like I'm in a better state my mind is going but my but really what opens I feel like is my emotional state where it's like I'm more in touch I feel more holistic like in the Enneagram we talk a lot about the connection between your mind your heart and your body that you are these three components and one of them can tend to get shushed Some of us don't want to listen to our bodies. Some of us don't want to listen to our hearts. And it's this act of integration where I feel like it's medicine because my heart and my mind and my body can all come online. And then I feel more integrated and then I feel more capable. To read more of
1: Jim's poems and essays, visit jimzartman.com or look for his book, And I Would Lift You, on amazon.com. You can learn more about his Enneagram coaching, discover your own Enneagram type, and hear Jim's incredibly insightful podcast, The Art of Growth, at theartofgrowth.org. Stick around for part two of this conversation when my wife Jen and Jim dig deeper into the effects of cold plunging and how to bring children into these nature-immersive practices and experiences. Open Air Humans is a production of Credo Nonfiction, See and hear more at credononfiction.com. And we'd love to see and hear from you. As part of Open Air Humans, we're collecting something we call open-air diaries. We'd love a simple story from you about a moment you were out in nature and became awestruck. Tell us about a time you experienced something that made you feel a deeper or more profound connection to the world around you. If you'd be so kind to record that story on your phone is great and email that audio file to openairhumans at gmail.com. We'll be collecting these and playing one at the end of each episode moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us out here in the open air.